This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Thinking and Doing. In this podcast, I examine logical fallacies, cognitive biases, stoic teachings from masters past and present, and tips on being better at life. I hope it will be as instructive to you as it is to me in the pursuit of thinking and doing well. Be sure to check out and subscribe to my flagship podcast, Everything Voluntary, where I seek to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. Hello and welcome to the podcast. In this episode, we're going to look at the logical fallacy denying the antecedent, and then we'll look at cognitive dissonance. All right, let's get right into it. All right, the source I'm using is the Skeptics Dictionary, which is skepdic.com, skepdic.com. Looks like this is something that was established in 1994, so it's kind of a classic website, I guess, uh, by somebody named Robert Todd Carroll. Okay, denying the antecedent. Denying the antecedent is a formal fallacy. It's a logical fallacy that is recognized by its form rather than its content. This is the form. If P, then Q. Not P, so not Q. Okay, so when we get into some examples, that'll make more sense, I think. (laughs) It says P and Q represent different statements. A statement with the form if P, then Q is called a conditional statement. P is called the antecedent, and Q is called the consequent of the conditional statement. Arguments with this form are fallacious because they are invalid. Being invalid means that their conclusions do not follow from their premises. Uh, For example, it is possible for their premises to be true and their conclusions false. A valid argument is one which the conclusion follows from from its premises, uh, which means it is impossible for its premises to be true and its conclusion false. Okay, so here's some examples of the fallacy of denying the antecedent. If atheism is true, then I'm wasting my time praying for rain. Atheism is not true, so I am not wasting my time praying for rain. Okay, so if atheism is true, then I'm wasting my time praying for rain. Well, that seems like a true premise to me. And it's, you know, it's an if, it's an if then. Um, Whether or not atheism is true is obviously not necessarily true. But if it is, then you're wasting your time praying for rain. Okay. Atheism is not true. So I'm not wasting my time praying for rain. Does that follow? Well, it doesn't follow. Atheism may not be true and you may still be wasting your time praying for rain, right? There may be a God, but he doesn't listen to prayers about the weather. (laughs) We don't know. Okay. Let's, uh, let's look at The next example. If acupuncture is quack medicine, then sticking people with needles to relieve pain is absurd. Okay, that if then seems valid. Acupuncture is not quack medicine. So sticking people with needles to relieve pain is not absurd. Okay, this one's a little bit more concealed. This one's a little less obvious than the last one. Um, I don't know too much about acupuncture other than 
it seems to me like it is all about sticking people with needles in order to relieve pain. (laughs) Acupuncture is not quack medicine, so sticking people with needles to relieve pain is not absurd. See, now this is this one's kind of interesting. This one, this one, I got to admit, it kind of has me because if it's if it's not quack medicine, I mean that's kind of. I mean, that's kind of what quack medicine is, right? And if all acupuncture is, is sticking people with needles to relieve pain, then you're kind of saying the same thing. It's not quack medicine. It's not absurd. But they elaborate a little bit. Let's, Let's put this around a different way. If sticking people with needles to relieve pain is absurd, then acupuncture is quack medicine, okay? Sticking people with needles to relieve pain is not absurd. So acupuncture is not quack medicine. See, I'm I'm not I'm not following this one either. <laughs> I'm not following this one as an example of the fallacy, is what I mean to say. I I guess I I guess um, I'm probably missing something here as far as what acupuncture is. Let me let me look it up. Yeah, it's about it's about sticking needles into the body for whatever reason. Yeah, this this doesn't this doesn't seem to me like an example of this fallacy. Because sticking pe- sticking people with needles to relieve pain is what acupuncture is. So if your if your whole premise is acupuncture being quack medicine and sticking people with needles is absurd, then you're not denying the antecedent if you um, if you say acupuncture is not quack medicine, or if you say sticking people with needles to relieve pain is not absurd. If you say that acupuncture is not quack medicine, that doesn't seem like denying the antecedent to me. Okay, let's go on to the next one. If we get greater than if we get if we get greater than chance results from our card guessing experiment, then telepathy is present. We did not get greater than chance results from our card guessing experiment. So telepathy is not present. Okay, this one's this one's definitely more obvious than the last one. Um, telepathy may or may not be present. But it doesn't really follow that if you don't get greater than chance results from your card guessing game, that there's not telepathy, right? It's you know it would it would take more to understand what telepathy is and how it's how it's in play and how it's working in order to conclude that it's not present. Okay, here's the next example. If he's sweating, then he's not telling the truth. He's not sweating, so he's so he is telling the truth. Okay, that one that one is another one that's a bit more obvious than that acupuncture one. If he's sweating, then he's not telling the truth. Okay, but that doesn't mean he's that doesn't mean he's not lying if he's not sweating. <laughs> um, if he's sweating, then he's not telling the truth. But he could also not be sweating and still not be telling the truth. He's just better at not sweating while he's lying. So that's why he's telling the truth doesn't doesn't follow. Okay, so here's here's kind of a different way of looking at that, or kind of a different different type of example around sweating and, and lying. If the suspect evokes a change in galvanic skin response from sweating, then he is lying. The suspect did not evoke a change in galvanic skin response. Therefore, the suspect is not lying. Well, this one seems really incomplete to me because it's it's a question of whether or not this suspect always evokes a change in his skin response. If he does, if that's just a, I don't know, a medical condition that he has, then then this would not be a fallacy. Right. So this one's incomplete also. I don't like this guy's examples. This was a bad source. (laughs) 
Let's see. Let's see what the commentary here. It says in each of the above examples of the fallacy of denying the antecedent, the premise of the argument may be true, but the conclusion does not follow from the premises. The invalidity of these arguments has nothing to do with their content and is due entirely to their fallacious, fallacious form. A statement not Q never follows from the statements if P then Q and not P. Even if the premises of a DA argument are true, the conclusion doesn't follow from them. Being fallacious, however, does not mean that the conclusion is false. For example, the following examples of DC have true conclusions. Uh, let's see, if President Obama is Muslim, then he is not a Christian. He is not a Muslim. So President Obama is not not a Christian. Or, for example, he is a Christian. If Here's another one. If President Obama was born in Nigeria, then he is not an American citizen. He was not born in Nigeria. So President Obama is not not an American citizen. Okay. All right. Um, I guess we could stick the word not, 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 or not necessarily not, or I don't know. This one is probably one that, this one is probably one that, that squeaks by a lot of people is my guess, because I'm not seeing with the acupuncture and look, if, if you get it and I'll, I'll link to this, you can read it again. If you, if you get, if you get why that acupuncture one, um, or even the skin response one. Now I get, he did say there in the commentary that it doesn't mean that the conclusion is 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 false. It's just that it doesn't follow based on the, the form of what's being set up. If acupuncture is quack medicine, then sticking people with needles to relieve pain is absurd. Acupuncture is not quack medicine. So sticking people with needles to relieve pain is not absurd. That's all acupuncture is. It's sticking people with needles to relieve pain. So I don't like this example because he's just, he's like saying if, if, uh, if B is bad, then B is absurd. B is not bad. So B is not absurd. I, I just, I don't, I'm not following. I'm not following this example. And I'm man enough to admit it. All right. Well, I'll link to that, like I said, and you can uh, shoot me an email, thinkinganddoingpodcast at gmail.com if, if you get it, if you get what I'm missing. The other examples were pretty good other than that, that sweating one. Um, okay. All right. Let's let's move on to cognitive dissonance. As always, our source for this is The Art of Thinking Clearly by Rolf DeBelli. This is chapter 50. Here we go. A fox crept up to a vine. He gazed longingly at the fat, purple, overripe grapes. He placed his front paws against the trunk of the vine, stretched his neck, and tried to get at the fruit. But it was too high. Irritated, he tried his luck again. He launched himself upward, but his jaw snapped only at fresh air. A third time he leapt with all his might, so powerfully that he landed back down on the ground with a thud. Still, not a single leaf had stirred. The fox turned up his nose. Those aren't even ripe yet. Why would I want sour grapes? Holding his head high, he strode back into the forest. The Greek poet Aesop created this fable to illustrate one of the most common errors in reasoning. An inconsistency arose when the fox set out to do something and failed to accomplish it. He can resolve this conflict in one of three ways. A. By somehow getting at the grapes. B, by admitting that his skills are insufficient, or C, by reinterpreting what happened retrospectively. The last option is an example of cognitive dissonance, or rather, its resolution. Suppose you buy a new car. However, you regret your choice soon afterward. The engine sounds like a jet taking off, and you just can't get comfortable in the driver's seat. What do you do? Giving the car back would be an admission of error. You don't want that. In any way, the dealer probably wouldn't refund all the money. 
So you tell yourself that a loud engine and awkward seats are great safety features that will prevent you from falling asleep at the wheel. Not so stupid after all, you think, and you are suddenly proud of your sound practical purchase. Leon Festinger and James Carl Smith of Stanford University once asked their students to carry out an hour of excruciatingly boring tasks. They then divided the subjects into two groups. Each student in group A received a dollar. It was 1959. And instructions to wax lyrical about the work to another student waiting outside. In other words, to lie. The same was asked of the students in group B with one difference. They were given $20 for the task. Later, the students had to divulge how they how they really found the monotonous work. Interestingly, those who received only a dollar rated it as significantly more enjoyable and interesting. Why? One measly dollar was not enough for them to lie outright. Instead, they convinced themselves that the work was not that bad. Just as Aesop's fox reinterpreted the situation, so did they. The students who received more didn't didn't have to justify anything. They had lied and netted $20 for it. A fair deal. They experienced no cognitive dissonance. Suppose you apply for a job and discover you have lost out to another candidate. Instead of admitting that the other person was better suited, you convince yourself that you didn't want the job in the first place. You simply wanted to test your market value and see if you could get invited for the interview. I reacted very similarly some time ago when I had to choose between investing in two different stocks. My chosen stock lost much of its value shortly after the purchase, whereas shares in the other stock, the one I had invested in, skyrocketed. I couldn't bring myself to admit my error. Quite the reverse, in fact. I distinctly remember trying to convince a friend that, though the stock was experiencing teething problems, it still had more potential overall. Only cognitive dissonance can explain this remarkably irrational reaction. The potential would indeed have been even greater if I had postponed the decision to purchase the shares until today. It was that friend who told me the Aesop fable. You can play the clever fox all you want, but you'll never get the grapes that way. All right, cognitive dissonance is an interesting one. I do want to look up maybe a secondary source. Let's go to psychologytoday.com and see. Because this kind of gets into um, a bit more. It says cognitive dissonance is a term for the state of discomfort felt when two or more modes of thought contradict each other. The clashing cognitions may include ideas, beliefs, or the knowledge that one has behaved in a certain way. All right. So with the example of the fox, and of course, this is just a story. um, The two beliefs that are clashing would probably be his confidence in himself that he can get the grapes, that they're not a problem for him, right? It's, it's a bit of a, maybe an, arrog- an arrogance that he has. He believes that he can get the grapes, not a problem. But after he has trouble getting the grapes, now the knowledge that he actually can't get the grapes, but he believes he can, those are a contradiction, right? So instead of just fixing the false belief that he can get the grapes, He's got to give it an excuse. And the excuse is, well, I don't really want those anyway. If I did really want them, I could get them. So I'm just going to go on my way. So let me read the little bit here where it says um, the theory of cognitive dissonance. It says the theory of cognitive dissonance proposes that people are averse to inconsistencies within their own minds. It offers one explanation for why people sometimes make an effort to adjust their thinking when their own thoughts, words, or behaviors seem to clash with each other. When one learns new information that challenges a deeply held belief, for example, or acts in a way that seems to undercut a favorable self-image, right, with the fox, that person may feel motivated to somehow resolve the negative feeling that result that results to restore cognitive consonance. Though a person may not always resolve cognitive dissonance, 
the response to it may range from ignoring the source of it to changing one's belief or behavior to eliminate the conflict. All right, so that that would be the rational thing to do. The rational thing to do would not be what the fox did, right? To make up an excuse, say, I really didn't want them. And if I did really want them, really, really wanted them, um, or his excuse was not, not just that he didn't want them, but that they're, they're probably sour grapes, right? And somehow he, he knew that, which is why he, he wasn't really trying to get them, right? So he's reinterpreting what already happened. He's lying to himself, right? He's deluding himself. Right? That's, that, that doesn't seem rational to me. So I guess the first step is to recognize when you are experiencing cognitive dissonance, right? You're experiencing a contradiction in your own mind about two, two ideas or two beliefs. First, recognize it. And though it might be painful, because I think, I think it can be very uncomfortable, maybe not, maybe not painful, but very uncomfortable to experience this. And that discomfort should be the signal that you're experiencing, possibly experiencing cognitive dissonance. So stand back, right? Remove yourself as the participant, put on your, your lab coat and become the scientist and say, what are the two beliefs that are in contradiction here? Write them out, right? Write them out and say, this is what I think. This is what I'm being faced with right now. These contradict. Okay. Now you're at a crossroads and this, this happens for a lot of people. They experience cognitive dissonance over maybe a religious belief or over a political belief or something that goes very deep. And most people will just excuse it away and, and move on with their lives, right? They'll just get rid of the discomfort in, um, in that way. What did he say? Somehow getting the grapes, admitting the skills are insufficient, or by reinterpreting what happened. So you just, you just reinterpret, right? That's what, that's what most people seem to do. Other people who recognize what's going on, maybe because they've experienced it before, aren't quite satisfied with that. They don't want to think of themselves as being wrong about something, so they'll stand back and they'll examine the conflicting ideas. Personally, I've had that happen to me a few times. I've experienced this, and then um, I'm sure there's been times where I've just you know reinterpreted or whatever and moved on. But there are other times where I was at a crossroads and I had to consider uh, what it was that was a contradiction and and then move forward in, you know in a spirit of um both exploration but also skepticism and and ultimately acceptance um but you know always being open minded so i think that's probably the takeaway here i think cognitive dissonance can affect everybody probably has before and probably will in the future and it's a bit uncomfortable and I'll link to that Psychology Today article, and, and there's a lot more to that than what I read. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but you can, you can dig into that. And again, that's Chapter 50 in The Art of Thinking Clearly. Didn't really get into the psychology, though, like that second link does. And, you know, you can figure out if it's, if it's maybe something you've had before, and maybe you did the irrational thing at the time, and you could go back and revisit. That might be healthy, too. All right. I think that's going to do it. Um, we looked at denying the antecedent, which, which can be a tricky one. It's not always so obvious that there's a fallacy happening here. And I'm still not sure about a couple of his examples. <laughs> and then we looked at cognitive dissonance. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening and have a better day. Please send your comments or questions to thinkinganddoingpodcast at gmail.com. Will you do me a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? 
that really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. 